It is Thursday Finance, and it is good morning, good afternoon, rather, Stephen Pritchard. Good afternoon, Mark. We've got a big hour on the way for us. What can we expect? Um, we're going to have a round-up on the commodities and currencies, then we'll have Henry on the phone to talk about what's happened on the Australian financial markets over the last week, and then we're going to have a bit about um, setting up a family trust. And as always, Stephen, we need to start by setting things straight with uh, the currency and commodities markets. Well, there's a bit of uh, red ink floating around last week. Um, the gold price was down 1.14% to $1,686 an ounce. Um, the copper price was, was well, the copper price was up $7,534 uh, dollars a tonne, so it was up 2.7%, and the crude oil price was down 2.9% um, to $69.01 a barrel. Red ink every, almost everywhere. Yeah, red ink almost everywhere. The currencies, our currencies have kind of gone down around the world for those people who are travelling. Um, we were down um, half a cent on the against the US dollar to 74.81 um, cents. We were down um, almost 1% against the Great British Pound to 58 uh, 0.24 pence and we were down against the euro by 2.3% to um, 6, 68.56 euro cents so all our current for those people who are lucky enough to travel overseas um, they, their dollar buys them less this week than last week um, it's probably be lost in the bank fees anyhow <laughs> everything's always lost yeah, in the bank fees yeah, two or three percent <laughs> so what's half a percent um, and the equities market the equity markets around the world quite good um uh, the Australian market was up 1.3% to 5,931. We still haven't got that magical 6,000 yet, mm. but we're getting closer and closer. How far away are we? Uh, about 70 points. Oh, in time. In time. Who, who knows? <laughs> Toss a coin. It'll get there. It'll get there. I just don't know when. Um, and the S&P 500 was uh, was up 1.3% uh, to 2,387. And uh, the... Um, UK index, the UK FTSE was up 2.3% to 7,288. So all the, all the major equity marks were going well last week. Um, a couple of the stocks that local investors are interested in, um, BHP is, 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 is down trending the last couple of weeks, but was up 1.2% last week to $23.94. Um, CBA was also up 2.6% to $87.38. And, um, NIB, the local health fund, has, has come a bit back off its rec recent record highs, so it's down to 599, which is down 2.12% for the week. And Telstra continues to slide away. Um, it was down another percent to $4.21. Oh dear. Oh dear. The Telstra dividend's quite good now. It's, it's almost over 10%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whether they continue to pay that is another thing. Um, <laughs> Not if they keep going down. Well, let's see. Yeah, see what happens. See what happens. Um, and the uh, the fuel price was up 5.8% on the week to um, $1.20 a litre. And in Sydney, it was down 6.3% uh, for the week to $1.18 a litre. So, um, yeah. So we always know. complain about the petrol, don't we? We don't yeah, like it when that goes up. Yeah. That's not going down. <laughs> and the diesel prices are basically the same as last week. <laughs> Fair so, enough. So they haven't moved at all. Uh -huh. It is Henry Jennings. Good afternoon, Henry. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, Henry. You fine down in Melbourne today? Um, it's cold and blustery, actually. Uh, it's always like that in Melbourne. It's always mm. like that. I thought that would turn on the good weather for you. Cold and blustery. Mm. And speaking of uh, cold and blustery, uh, at Arden Leisure there seems to be in the media again and uh, uh, Deborah Thomas is now going to become the Chief Customer Officer, whatever that 
may mean. Yeah, I'm not really, not really sure what the chief customer officer is. Obviously, she's um, been ousted following the um, the tragic uh, events at uh, Dreamworld last or earlier this year, I guess. Um, and it's, it's you know it's hard to see this is great news, but um, at least. Um, they're kind of moving on. It's probably not good for her. And there's a gentleman by the name of Simon Kelly uh, that is taking over. It certainly shows um, that there is um, some kind of agitation, I guess, um, from this uh, new um, shareholder that they've got, Ariadne, which is kind of a bit of a blast from the past, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so, um, yeah, it seems that uh, at least that's, um, that's kind of working at the moment anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Uh Speaking of A A two milk supposedly being oh. talked about as a takeover target now. Well, it's not only being talked about as a takeover target, but the stock's going absolutely ballistic. They upgraded their numbers uh, yesterday, um, and the stock's now around sort of three dollars thirty, um, which is uh, which has been a significant uh, a significant rally in the stock. And I don't know if so some of your listeners may have a bit of a longer memory, um, but there was a takeover approach way 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 on back. Um, I think it was around 90-odd cents or around a dollar, um, and uh, the company fought them off and knocked them back, and it seems as if um, those people that stuck with the company have done uh, have done very well indeed. So um, certainly sales in Australia are going very well, um, and also sales in China, and people seem to really like this, uh, this A2 Milk brand, and they're talking to Sinlat or Sinlay, um, one of their suppliers, about uh, how to ramp up production to uh, to meet demand. So all looking pretty good with uh, for 18 milk. Yeah, unlike, unlike our friends at Bellamy's, that's uh, not going that well, I don't think. Um, no. Um, you know, I think um, you know, Bellamy's is sort of recovering a little bit from its near-death experience, but uh, they certainly have a long way to go to get back um, to those sort of heady days when it was over 10 bucks. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's going to take a little while to to, uh, to get there, but um, maybe they will. But there's certainly a lot of water under the bridge mm-hmm. that needs to be um, mm-hmm. needs to be sorted before they get there. But certainly, A2 Milk has, has shown, uh, I guess, have shown their class uh, really um, in terms of uh, sales numbers. And uh, down at uh, down at Spotless, um, uh, one of, one of uh, down at EDI's major shareholders, uh, the fund manager Alan Gray, said that um, EDI shouldn't raise their bid for Spotless, as it's not a trophy asset. Well, <laughs> um, statement there. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure Spotless could ever be considered a um, a trophy asset. Um, it's certainly, I guess, you know, the, the jury is very much out on this um, this takeover. Um, market really doesn't like it at all and cannot see, I guess, the um, the kind of the logic, I guess, that uh, the EDR and Downer have got for taking this over. And they don't want them to get carried away with paying a silly price. Uh, and we saw it the other day with, um, with remember Toll Holdings? Yeah, yeah. Um, which, was, which was paid, which was bought out in a, in a massive uh, fight with Japan Post finally taking it. They just made a $5 billion, just about $5 billion write-down on their purchase. They, I think they paid $6.5 billion, and they are writing it down by $4.9 billion. Mm-hmm. So it just shows you that the, the traps that you, can, uh, that you can get into if you pay silly prices for things uh, and get carried away. You know, it's a bit like going to uh, you know, charity auctions or a, or a house auction or something yeah. like that. You People get carried away and they pay dumb prices to impress their mates or 
for whatever reason, and certainly um, as the market is urging um, urging our friends at Downer not to pay a silly price. Mm. So, um, especially for something that seems to be as unpopular as it is in terms of uh, sort of rationale for a takeover. Yeah, there's no competing bidders come out, so, so that I'm aware of, is it? No, that, well, the, well, Spotless did seem, well, they did make some overtures yeah. that there were some people waiting in the wings. But what does seem to be waiting in the wings is um, the fact that um, private equity wants to um, sort of uh, knock off little bits of it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. There's, there's certain parts of the business which uh, may be attractive, certain parts that may be underperforming that people think they can turn around. So it may be that, um, that they sort of get nipped um, you know, the hyenas and the vultures are nipping at the carcass of Spotless um, while they're still trying to defend the uh, the company against that takeover bid. Mm. One, one, one investment bank is saying, grab the money and run, guys. You know, this is as good as it gets. 115 cents for Spotless is a great result. Get out now while you can. So um, yep. we'll wait and see. And uh, Commonwealth Government's now going to impose or proposing to impose, depending where we're up to, uh, uh, grants on uh, restrictions on the export of uh, LNG gas. Yeah, I mean, this is another interesting one. I'm not, I'm not sure how much of this is politic um, and how much of this is going to really um, uh, have an impact. But um, Turnbull having talked nicely to the gas companies to try and say, that you know, you've got to supply more domestic gas. Uh, has now brought down the heavy strong arm and said, look, you know what, from July 1, um, you, we're going to put export restrictions on you if the domestic gas market falls into uh, into deficit. The problem that I guess uh, we have is we've got all this gas, um, but in order to build the massive amounts of infrastructure that we've built uh, in Gladstone and places like that, they've had to secure long-term supply contracts with Asia. They do have some commitments there. If, if they don't supply that gas, I imagine they're going to be penalised financially. Uh, they may risk contracts. Uh, it does affect uh, people's ability to invest in um, you know, long-term assets in Australia if the games change. And there's no guarantee that domestic gas is going to actually be any cheaper. It just might be uh, more widely available. So I think the end game of this is we're going to see more um, more fracking, um, unfortunately, and more uh, more gas being having to be extracted to satisfy not only um, domestic demand but also uh, these export markets, which they've tied contracts into. Mm. And BHP uh, talking about now selling their uh, shale assets as as part of a attempt to improve their performance. I, I suggest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, BHP's been I, I don't know if under fire is the right kind of expression, but they've certainly been uh, um, given a bit of a kick up there. Um, but what's it um, in terms of uh, trying to improve their shareholder performance by a activist hedge fund in the US called uh, Elliott Advisors? Now, Elliott Advisors is run by a guy called Paul Singer, who's a very, very wealthy billionaire, um, and he put to BHP a plan to improve the share price, which included floating off the US uh, shale assets and uh, working on the dual-listed nature of the company um, and trying to close up the gap between the, uh, the London price and the Australian price and actually losing um, the Australian price in some respects. Um, so BHP has responded and they are selling off some of their shale assets, um, not, uh, not to the extent that he would like, but certainly um, there's a little bit of movement there from BHP. They're talking about 50,000 uh, acres um, that they're selling off. Um, and this is in the Hawkville, and they're also looking at the Arkansas Fayetteville uh, asset as well, which they're uh, potentially looking 
looking to sell. So um, I guess they're going some way to appease this uh, activist shareholder, but uh, not nearly as far as they would like. It remains to be seen what happens and uh, whether that really does have an effect on the BHP share price. Now, have they made any comment about whether they're going to get less than book value or more than book value? Or? No, they've written, they've written these assets mm. down quite a long way already, so um, they should, I would imagine that if they do sell them, they will have to... You know, they'll want to get over book value for them, otherwise you, know, you wouldn't really want to take a, a hit just for the sake of it, just to keep a shareholder happy. Yeah, that's right. And we spoke a bit before about um, paying too much for things. So, so some offshore investors has paid, has bought the ASX Centre in Bridgeshead a, a, bit, a yield between four and four and a half percent. I mean, that seems yeah, extraordinary big, to big me. Pro- uh, big price, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's um, yeah. But as you say, around sort of four to four point five percent. This is going to kind of. I, I guess they're talking about it sending shock waves through the uh, the industry because it does uh, then. Um, revalue a lot of other office blocks as mm-hmm. well in terms of upside and we're coming up to June 30 so and um, there's potentially some upside in some of these REITs especially those uh, that are interested uh, in uh, commercial property and uh, office blocks so um, you know, it, it, it's a, certainly a positive for the uh, the sector and I guess it, um, it shows that the demand is there for um, you know, high quality CBD uh, buildings yeah, yeah, it's a very low Especially price. one that's like a landmark. I mean, the ASX, the ASX building is, uh, um, you know, it is a kind of a landmark building, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, let's see what happens. And then Atlas Iron, Atlas Iron's um, manager is now talking about, um, you know, wanting to diversify to prevent another near-death experience. Yeah. Um, well... Um, yeah, I mean, Atlas Iron is uh, heavily geared to the iron ore price. It is an iron ore miner, and unfortunately for Atlas, it is a high-cost iron ore miner around, uh, I think their production costs around 58 bucks uh, US. So, you know, it, it's pretty marginal. Um, it's looking pretty good at 90 bucks plus, uh, making a nice big uh, amount of cash, and that cash was being used to pay down debt, much like Fortescue did um, a couple of years ago. Um, they had that near-death experience, I guess, when the stock was languishing. Even this year, at sort of a dollar forty, um, with iron ore down at sort of forty, forty-five bucks. And now here we are with Fortescue at uh, you know, much higher levels. Uh, I guess the hope for Atlas is that they can uh, struggle through, pay off this debt, and then look for uh, something elsewhere to uh, to diversify into. But um, they're not going to have a lot of cash to do it, and I guess you know, at two cents or whatever the stock is at the moment, it's uh, it's not easy to uh, to make big acquisitions or or push you know, push into other areas. Um, they're still hanging on by their fingertips, I think. Yeah, I would have thought so. And mm. speaking of hanging on by their fingertips, uh, uh, a lot of the retailers seem to be getting concerned about Amazon's. Um, proposed entry to Australia. And Harvey Norman, Jerry Harvey, had quite a few things to say this week. About he always does that, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's not, he's not backwards and coming forward, is uh, Jerry, you think? He's, um, he's certainly, uh, you know, very much on the front foot with this uh, assault or this fight against the Amazon invasion. Um, he does want them to have a level playing field um, in terms of the GST that uh, Amazon would have to pay. But both Amazon and eBay, um, you know, are pushing very much forward in terms of not paying any GST. Um, and eBay has said that, you know, they're just a platform and it's very hard for them to collect GST, etc. So it's going to be a bit of a schmozzle. The threat, obviously, from Amazon is real and it does seem to be coming. 
Um, so, you know, the retailers are kind of batting down the hatches and trying to work out how to answer that. Um, Amazon has said that they would look at prices and then just slash 30% off. Um, I'm not sure how sustainable that is, um, but um, certainly they're, they're going to shake up the model, and not just for retailers. Uh, it's also going to be media stocks as well. Retailers spend a lot of money on advertising, um, and if they have not the money to advertise because of uh, problems with their businesses, then it's going to feed through into the media sector as well. And we've just seen some pretty horrible numbers um, from uh, from Channel 10, which I wrote up in the newsletter today, just uh, uh, big write-downs on their licence and the stock um, tanking again. I mean, it's uh, you know, down 18% today, they're a mere 36 cents. So mm-hmm. not, not looking good on that one. And now we've got, you know, there's three billionaires in there playing, um, I'm a billionaire shareholder, get me out of here. Mm-hmm. So, so um, it's, it's not a good look. So Amazon is definitely going to uh, shake up uh, the uh, commercial landscape in Australia, um, I'd say, you know, it'll probably take a little longer than people think, and maybe we won't see the major effects till 2018, but uh, I guess it's going to be good for consumers. We're going to mm. see drones dropping presents to us all over the place. Oh, I can drop a few presents at my place as long as someone else pays. Driverless cars, all sorts of things coming our way. It's a, You've got to buy your own presents, Stephen. As, as Malcolm says, it's an exciting time to be alive. exciting time to be an Australian. Isn't that a Chinese curse? Some, some, <laughs> some, some, yeah. uh, thanks for that, Henry. And, and if we want to get your daily updates, we can just go onto your website. Yeah. If, uh, if you want to sign up to the Marcus Today newsletter, there's a, there's a free two-week trial, and the lovely ladies at uh, Marcus Today um, will we'll sort you out, and I'm sure they'll do you a good deal for the, for the newsletter. So marcustoday.com.au. Okay. Thanks, Henry. Talk to you next week. And he refuses to be affected by Amazon. No, no, Henry won't be affected <laughs> by be Amazon. Okay. We'll need him. We still need him. Stephen Pritchard here with us answering all of your questions. Bob, you've got a question about the American dollar. I have. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, Bob. Good. Yeah. I'm just curious. Uh, you hear on the radio the Australian dollar is buying 79.9 US cents. Yeah, yeah. And you go down to get your money to go to America... Yep. And your Australian dollar buys 74.9 US cents. Yep. What happened to the other five cents? Banks made it. <laughs> <laughs> the banks have got it. Simple. Look, when you, when you, when you, okay, when you go, you go along to the bank mm-hmm. to buy the US dollars, okay, so, 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 so we'll step back. When you go to the, when you go to your local stockbroker and buy some shares, you're dealing with the broker as agent and the order goes into a central order book and matches up the buyer on the other side. Yeah. Right? So so the broker executes the order and there's someone on the other side selling it and that's the price you get. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you yep. go to, when you go along the bank and deal to buy US dollars, you're dealing with the bank as principal. Okay, so the the, the dollars are being sold to you by the bank. And and like everything else, you can sell things at whatever price you want. So that's why if you if you, if you just go down somewhere like um, simple like Beaumont Street where we are, um, you'll find that the US dollar rate from the Bank of Queensland will be different from the CBA, will be different from Westpac and ANZ and, and even the Newcastle Perm. So they're all they've all got their own rates that they're selling to you at. Now, the other thing you need to be careful at when you do foreign exchange is, is, is some of them will say that they don't charge a commission 
uh, on the transaction. But but really, what what you need to do is you need to go. If you're going to exchange five thousand dollars, what you need to do is go to somewhere where you know all the major banks are, and just go in and ask them and say, if I give you five thousand eight dollars. What's my net going to be in US dollars? You don't want to worry about commissions and, and exchange rates. All you need to know is how many US dollars you end up in your hand and just go along to a couple of the institutions. And I know that we won't go which institutions. There's two institutions in Beaumont Street and there's a 20% difference. You will get 20% more US dollars from one than you will the other. Uh, it's just so, so frustrating. You, you hear it on the radio and it, it's ever so much, but that's what the banks are buying them for, not what the no, that's Joe what, that's, that's, what them for. that's what they're being sold in the wholesale market. Yeah. Right. What you're doing is you're dealing the retail market and, and, and you're dealing as principal. So you need to go along to the banks, whichever, pick a street yeah. that's got all the major banks in and just go one from the other and say, I want to exchange 5000 US dollars for... Uh, Five thousand eight dollars for US dollar, and find out what you'll get. Bob, I think it might, Bob, I think it might so just, just be a matter so of just shopping shop around. around. Yeah, yeah, that's the only way you can do it. Yeah, that's the way shop around. And I think you put it simply in the end there, Stephen. Mm-hmm. You got your five thousand or yeah. whatever you've got. How much of X dollars are you going to give me? Oh, we'll give you four and a half. The next place will give you four thousand seven hundred. Uh, that's where I'll go. It's the easiest way to compare things. It's the same as a home loan. Yeah, you know, you don't need to look at comparison rates and all this. You, all you mm-hmm. need to do is say. My loan's 100000 I want to pay it over 20 years. What's my monthly payment? In the meanwhile, Stephen, it's all about family trusts today. We hear about this on and off. Now, why would someone set up a family trust and who would be a likely candidate? Well, there's, there's two major reasons why, why people set up family trusts. Is, is one is for an asset protection strategy and, and the other one is predominantly an income splitting strategy. Now, what, basically how a family trust works is, is the, the, the money's held by the trust but no one actually owns the money. So the trustee gets to decide from year to year who the income of that trust is, is allocated to. So the advantage is if you've, if, if you've got um, some some people, or the spouse doesn't work, you might want to give her some of the, or him some of the income out of mm-hmm. the family trust. And from an asset protection point of view, if, you, if you've got... Um, uh, you're, you're in a high-risk business and you want to protect some assets from, from access to the creditors, a family trust is an ideal way to set that up to do that. I think that's probably one of the big reasons why you would, wouldn't it? Because one of the big reasons, yeah. <laughs> it's we, the headline. We, we've always got this saying, don't mix wealth and risk. So if you're, mm. you're accumulating some assets, um, like some properties or something, one of the ideal ways to, to keep them away from your business assets or mm. other things that contain a lot of risk because everyone's getting very litigious now. People will sue people for, for you know, and, Anything. And basically, and the cost of the litigation is getting horrendous. So, so, so one way to do this is to move the assets into a family trust. Yeah. So if you've got your business, and it, like you said, it could be risky, yeah. or it might not be yeah. risky, but, you know, as we know, the if you got your business, changed. If you've got your business in one vehicle, we wouldn't, and you decide to buy the business premises, we wouldn't. We, we, we typically, we'd advise people mm. to put the business premises into a, a different structure than other than business. And uh, once you've got everything locked in the family trust, generally speaking, it is locked well, away. It's well, safe. Well, it's not safe, but it's safer. It's putting up a different roadblock. I mean, you know, the family court can always access these things under mm. the family law court act, so they're not one hundred percent safe, and, and they're going to be run properly. And, sure. Yeah. So the government agencies, they're still going to be able to sort of come uh, in. Yeah, if need so, be. Sometimes, sometimes, not always. The ATO uh, definitely. 
Uh, uh, Maybe. Uh, they you can only access the family trust assets for assets that, that for liabilities that belong to the trust. They can't okay. access them for your liabilities. So. Uh-huh. Okay. That sounds pretty good. So, so how a family trust works is, is you basically have, you, you, you have a document called a, a trustee, which is like a set of rules, um, and then you've got a person called the settler who starts this thing off, and that's usually a family friend or someone who, who gives a trustee, say, $100, and that commences the, the family trust. Now, the trustee, um, we always recommend that you use a, a, a company for that. Um, you can have individuals, but there's specific reasons why you'd use a company. So the settler gives the trustee $100, starts the trust off. Then if you want to acquire other assets, that's usually done by a, um, a loan from someone in the family or a loan from a financial institution, and you use that to buy the assets in the in the trust. So what are some of the costs, other costs involved with the uh, So, so with the basically trust? it costs it cost around $2,000 to... To, to to set the trust up mm-hmm. now if you want to if you want to transfer some um, real estate um, into the trust you're also going to pay the the usual state government stamp duties on transferring those some of those assets in oh, that won't go away uh, well that's one of the issues about the, you know they're having a boat debate about a f- housing affordability the biggest mm-hmm. thing the state government could do is slash the stamp duty rates yeah and, um, and, and know, all, the rest up, is just, all the rest is just complete nonsense all the rest is sort of trimming isn't it but yeah, that's the huge yeah, it's one it's huge one and uh, yeah if someone's someone's you know retiree wants to to, to downsize or downsize or mm. you know change their house you know, the changeover costs isn't unusual to be a hundred thousand. And there's been a lot of talk recently uh, about we wanting, the, the, you know, from the government, we wanting retirees uh, to, to open those so they can, up for families, so and, they can collect more stamp duty. <laughs> you said that, okay. And one of the important things is that a trust trust has a beneficiary has to have some beneficiaries, and usually mm-hmm. they're, they're described as, as as classes instead of individuals. Um, so, so you'd say um, the principal beneficiary might be the father or the mother, mm-hmm. and the, the other beneficiaries would be described as, you know, the, the children or the grandchildren of the father money. And you can also, if you want, and someone's upset you, you can exclude them from being a beneficiary. That sounds like a will. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, it's very similar will. structure. Very similar structure. Um, you know, you can ex- say you can exclude. Um, my nephew or my granddaughter or... It's kind of sep- really, uh, you know, uh, separating the men from the boys, so as to speak. Are there some ongoing costs that might be... Well, uh, yeah, yeah, there's ongoing costs. I mean, depending what assets the, the trust has, you know, you've got to do a set of accounts, you've got to lodge a tax return, the trustee has to take keep minutes of its, of its decisions. Mm-hmm. So you're probably looking at a minimum of a couple of thousand dollars a year. To, to do that. But, you know, once you start getting, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars of assets... Um, other than your house, um, it's kind of a reasonably good structure for investments. Mm, okay. Well, that's uh, brought us up to date with Family Trust, Stephen. Always uh, an interesting listen. And we even got to have a, a rub about stamp duty as well while we were there. Your favourite topic, my friend. <laughs> that's nobody's favourite topic. Right, mate, thank you for that. We'll catch you next week. That's okay. Stephen Pritchard for Thursday Finance. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.